from the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch. This is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department of the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every Thursday. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Nancy Gilson, a lifestyle freelance writer, and today we'll be talking with Elise Goldbach, who has written a new memoir about her employment as a steel worker in Cleveland. Her book, Rust, A Memoir of Steel and Grit, will be published March 3rd, and Elise will appear at 7 p.m. Monday, March 9th at Gramercy Books in Bexley. When she was 29, Elise Goldbach went to work as a steel worker at a mill in Cleveland. She had been raised in a strict and conservative Catholic home. She had graduated from college with a degree in English and was close to obtaining her master's degree. As a young woman, she had been diagnosed with bipolar disease and she was out of work and broke. Obtaining a union job at the steel plant was like winning the lottery, her fellow workers told her. Great pay and great benefits. But it was also a hot, hard, dangerous job in seemingly unending shifts. The job served as a crucible for Goldbach's coming of age. In Rust, a memoir of steel and grit, she gives a detailed portrait of what it is like to work in a steel mill, as well as a frank description of her personal life, all set against a backdrop of the contentious 2016 election. Goldbach's book will be released March 3rd, and she will appear March 9th at Gramercy Books in Bexley. So we're going to talk with Elise Collette, and she is the author of Rust, A Memoir of Steel and Grit. What a fun book this was to read. It was really interesting for me. I grew up in, in northern Ohio, not quite up in Cleveland, but a lot of what you describe about Cleveland was really fun for me to, to hear about. And your work at the steel plant was just fascinating. So can you describe like maybe one or two of your more memorable moments at the on the job at that steel plant? Well, I think like definitely the my first introduction into the steel mill world was you know, I went to the orientation for the for the job and you know, I went into this room filled with about twenty five other people and I was one of two women in there and so it was just this very um kind of a little bit intimidating setting, just being in in this male dominated world and we were given hands on training with tow motors, which are forklifts, basically. And, you know, we were, me and this other woman were there with all these men, and they were standing around with their arms crossed, kind of, you know, looking bored and rolling their eyes And as we were struggling to, to work these forklifts and making, you know, kind of comments about female drivers and things <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was probably my first introduction, you know, to this kind of male-dominated world. And then an, another really just memorable experience was I learned how to run a 100-ton crane in the steel mill. Uh-huh. And so these cranes are kind of everywhere. You know, when, when you're walking, you have to look left and right, and you also have to look up because there's always crane traffic overhead, and you don't want to walk under something when they're when they're carrying a heavy load because it can fall, obviously. So I, I actually got to get up in one of those cranes, which are about 40 feet above the ground. And so you're you're kind of riding in this crane, looking down and, and working these controls. And so it's very... That's also like an intimidating experience because, you know, you could hurt someone and, you know, it's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. Yeah. For those of us who I've never set foot in a steel plant, and I suppose there's a lot of people that haven't, you know, in a nutshell, can you tell us what goes on there? What do they do? Yeah, so the steel mill that I worked in is called an integrated steel mill, which means basically that they're taking iron ore and turning it into steel. And so there are various departments throughout the mill that each kind of do a different part of the process. 
So in the blast furnace, they heat up this iron ore and it, it turns it into pure iron. And then it, it travels on train cars to a place called the basic oxygen furnace. And that's where like this molten metal is turned into steel like refined and they add different chemicals to kind of change properties. And so then that steel is cooled into these big, thick slabs that are about 30 feet long and maybe 14 inches thick. And then those are taken to a place called the hot mill, which actually like stretches it out kind of like Play-Doh or kind of like spaghetti in a spaghetti uh, machine that uh-huh. makes it like really long and thin um, into these long, thin strips that are then coiled on themselves. So they're kind of rolled up like you might roll a piece of paper on a pencil. Wow. Kind of yeah. into yeah into a cylinder, and then those go to a place called the finishing department, where they're further refined, and they make sure that it's really smooth, and and do various processes to to the surface of the steel to make sure that it's, you know finished and and can go on to customers and can become you know cars or microwaves or things like that. Yeah, wow. And I I know it's it's physically demanding work. So I assume that you're not a really huge person. Did you <laughs> did you lose weight on the job? Did you gain muscles when you were working? In different jobs, yeah, are definitely more more physically demanding than others. When I was at a certain point, I uh, tried to work a job where we were stirring a vat of molten zinc. Yeah. So it was this big, like, kind of swimming pool-sized vat of, of zinc that you had to, to stir around to make sure that any impurities would be um, swept away. Um, and so, you know, it was the silvery metal that we were standing above. And you think that it would be really easy, but it's actually the metal is so heavy that it's very hard to stir. Yeah. And so, like, definitely in a job like that, um, you definitely lose weight and gain muscles. But some of the other jobs in the mill are a lot of, um, it's a lot of sitting down and pushing buttons um, to control the machinery. And so in those jobs, you tend to actually gain, like, the skill <laughs> worker 15. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you alluded this to, uh, uh, earlier when we were talking about how there were there are few women. What percentage of, of the workers were women when you were there? And what was it like to be a female there? Um, I don't know exa- the exact percentage uh-huh. of female workers, but it was definitely um, less. Maybe I would say about 25% uh-huh. uh, women. So, you know, the the men were actually, like, very helpful and very inclusive, generally speaking. Like I said, that you you did have times when people would make comments, you know, someone man said, oh, you know, you're too pretty to work in the steel mill, you should find a man to take care of you, or, <laughs> and then, you know, things like that. Um, but generally, you know, the, the women kind of banded together. They had a, a union club called the Women of Steel, where women would kind of um, meet outside of work and, and support each other and try and, you know, do things outside of the job that um, would kind of help create a sense of community inside the mill. And so definitely it was still a very supportive environment, even though there were less women there. So I know in your memoir you talk about various stories about how some workers were either killed or, or maimed on the job. It, it's a dangerous place to work. Um, did, did you have to sign a waiver when you were hired, or how did, how did they handle that? Yeah, I don't know that there was necessarily a waiver. I know that they do offer insurance, um, you know, life insurance to all employees for free. And they were also very, you know, there was a medical clinic on staff or, you know, on the property in case you had more more minor injuries, um, things like that. We would have drills where we would know how to get ambulances to various areas of the mill because it's kind of a maze when you're down there. Uh-huh. Um, so, so you know, there was a wow. process to go through to make sure that, you know, emergency personnel could, could get where they needed to be uh, quickly. And, but yeah, there were definitely um, some major injuries while I was there. There was um, one man who fell onto 
the basically this giant carafe that is used to make steel. Mm. Um, and he fell, he fell about 30 feet and mm. uh, ended up fracturing like his pelvis and his knee and his um, and his ankle. So they're they're just it's still dangerous even though there's so many more uh, safety precautions that, that are taken nowadays. Uh-huh. It's so yeah. How long in all did were you were you working at that plant? A little over three years I was there. So you wrote this book. Have any of your fellow steelworkers read it? I know it's not out yet, but you have advanced copies. Or, And if, if they haven't read it, do you think they will? And what do you think they'll think of it? I don't know anybody that has read it yet, but I know that they many of them will. Um, and they always ask me, you know, when it's coming out and what's the progress. And I think that they're very excited to have um, the book coming out and to also just see their experiences reflected in a, a really re- real and authentic way. And I, I do think that the majority of them will, will enjoy seeing themselves in the pages and getting word out there of what it really is like to be in a steel mill and, and what it is like to be part of that community. Yeah. Did you use their real names in your book? No, I I did change the names, so yeah. 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 Well, I, I was impressed how you describe your fellow steel workers in often quite noble terms. Can you talk a little bit more about what you think of them and how, how those kind of workers might be a little bit misconstrued um, by other Americans? Yeah, I think before I went to work in a steel mill, you kind of had this idea of the industrial worker as, as kind of this one thing, you know, tending to be more conservative, maybe less educated. Uh, and so, you know, we kind of have that that stereotype in our minds. And I think I really wanted to write this book because... I saw like how varied people's experiences are and how how different their views are and it's just just like anywhere else in America where you you have very different people with very different ideas and very different backgrounds too you know I wasn't the only one with a college education down there um people just learned that you know you can make so much money in the mill even even with a college degree and there there were definitely the people who were more conservative, more uh, Trump supporters, but there were also people who, you know, rolled their eyes at the mention of Trump, and mm-hmm. and so it, it's just this, yeah, very, uh, very, very different, I think, than most people would assume, or, or you know, we would want to peg industrial workers as just one thing, and really, really, they're just like all of us, you yeah, know, just very a, different, yeah. Interesting. Um, I know your background, your educational background is in, in English and in writing. Um, when you started that job, did you have in mind to write about it? You know, I I always write about my experiences like as a way to give myself meaning. So I had a feeling that I might end up writing about this experience, but I didn't have any project plans when I, I got the job. Uh-huh. You know, I got the job purely for, for money and health insurance, really. But then, you know, my first day on the job and, and you go and you see this machinery that's just bigger than you can ever imagine. And, and like I said, there, there are those cranes rumbling all overhead. And uh, it's just a very uh, visceral and and intimidating experience. And so I knew that it, there was just so much to write about in, in terms of the atmosphere and the smells. And, you know, when I was working... and stirring the pot of molten zinc it smelled like armpits and, nice. and just stuff that, that most people you know would never would never know and so i really did want to write about that experience for just to, to give people a glimpse into that world yeah did, did you keep a journal while you were working there or did you take notes or you know what i ended up doing is i kind of would come home and, and write pretty much every day so that was kind of my my um journaling uh-huh. um, yeah 
so so you know keeping and and whenever something really um important would happen i would i would jot it down in in my computer especially um when you know especially my interactions with other people uh-huh. trying to kind of keep keep the dialogue and 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 remember it as as best i could yeah yeah in in your memoir um rust um you're you're very open about um some of the more dramatic struggles you've had in your life um particularly your bipolar disease and the rape that you suffered when you were eight, 19 years old. Have you come to terms with those two events, or how are you doing? Yeah, I think that both of those things are something that affect you for the rest of your life, uh, and it's, you know, recovery is not necessarily a linear, linear thing. You're, you're kind of, mm-hmm. there are ups and downs, and, and um, so I think that I have mostly come to terms, especially with the bipolar disorder, and and learning how to manage that and, and trying to make sure that I keep on top of of that disease so that it doesn't um you know, bring me down and, and make my life harder than, than it needs to be. And as far as the uh, sexual assault that I think that in in writing about it, it has helped me to kind of overcome it and at least give myself a sense of power by writing about it and make myself uh, feel like I have control over the situation and also control over the way I, I think about it and the way I process it. Um, but like I said, th- those things always do continue to affect you. Absolutely. It's just yeah. that you kind of learn learn strategies of, of overcoming and, and carrying on. The, the other thing that struck me, another thing that struck me in your book was how your parents um, were very conservative, very, you described them as right wing, and they were Trump, they are, I suppose still are, Trump supporters, and you describe yourself as liberal, and you voted for Obama and Hillary Clinton. Um, t- tell us a little bit about your relationship with your parents right now. <laughs> yeah, so so it's, it's always difficult, because of course I love my parents, and they've done so much for me over the course of my life, both helping with the sexual assault and with um, helping me overcome the bipolar disorder. And so I owe them so much, but obviously our our politics still are very divergent. And so, and I think that when you're talking with family members, there's also just that, you know, it's there's heightened emotion around it because yeah. it becomes personal, and and um, you know, there there can be fights at the dinner table or tension. <laughs> um, <laughs> but and I. I I do still talk to them about politics, um, particularly my mother is more receptive to, you know, learning or thinking about things in different ways, and um, so I, I just try and gently, you know, show them my point of view as much as I can, and, you know, my own kind of journey from conservatism to, to more liberalism, uh, you know, took place in, in college and from learning. And, you know, I went to a more liberal school after the uh, sexual assault that kind of showed me that, you know, Democrats aren't these big, scary people who are, <laughs> you know, who are trying to destroy America, um, which is kind of what I, I grew up believing. And and so I think that the more the more we talk to each other and the more we kind of see that, okay, you know, my daughter is a liberal and she's not you know, out to destroy America, she's a good person, yeah. the more we can maybe try and come together a little bit in our in our views. Yeah. So um, can I ask you how old you are now and what do you do for employment now? So I am 33 now and I just recently started teaching at John Carroll University. Oh, good for um, you. Which yeah. is on the, yeah, on yeah. the east side of Cleveland. Huh? Um, so I'm teaching writing right now 
And it's been just a, a, a great transition to do something that both supports my writing and kind of use, utilizes the, the skills I've learned over the years. Um, and I have a great, great set of students who are very bright and very engaged. So do you ever think you would ever go back to being a steel worker? You know what? I actually, I do sometimes um, fantasize about, <laughs> about running a forklift. I was, um, that's, I was, my last job in the mill was I was a forklift driver and I would unload the trucks and bring the raw materials to various parts of the mill. And there's something really uh, that I love about those kinds of jobs where, you're just completely in the moment. You know, you're you're paying attention to the things that are around you. You're um, in the present. You're paying attention to to the sights and the sounds to make sure that you, you don't hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. And it's it's just a great way to use your brain a little bit differently than when you're writing or reading or or teaching. Um, so I do sometimes. Uh, think about getting like a part-time job as a, as a forklift driver. <laughs> That's great. Is, is the plant that you worked at, it's still open and functioning? Yeah, yeah, they're still, they're still going strong as far as I know. Ah, it's great. Good. So do you have, what do you, what do you plan to write next? Do you have a book, another book in progress or do you have another idea? I do. It's very much in the early stages um, and I, I haven't let many people read it, but this book might focus more on the environment actually uh-huh. going forward. So I don't I don't want to say too much of it because it's it's still very very new. So it's it's nonfiction or is it fiction? It would be nonfiction, nonfiction. yeah. Again, yeah, great. Well, I know it'll be fun to have you in Columbus, or I believe you're in Bexley at the Gramercy Bookstore. What would you have people know about you before you arrive? I would just have them know that you know I'm a regular Joe who <laughs> wanted to tell a story kind of of hope and of community and a story that could maybe give us a better view of each other in these very troubled political times and as a story that can maybe help us try and see each other a little differently to maybe spark those conversations that I think we need to have as a nation and I think those conversations start with each other at the individual level and so so that's kind of my my main purpose in writing the book yeah Yeah, I think you're I think Rust really does that It, it it's a very interesting read and I think it's an important read Thank you so much for your time today. We just really enjoyed talking with you and hope you enjoy your visit to Columbus. All right. Thank you. I look forward to coming. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614.